this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and their effects on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today on the show, we'll be talking to Louis or Lu Luis Perron, uh, who is a political consultant and founder of Perron Campaigns. Louis is based in Zurich in Switzerland, but works internationally. And in his work, Louis has advised two presidents, uh, a vice president, two cabinet ministers, five senators, three big city mayors, and a former Miss Universe. So welcome, Louis, and thank you very much for being here with us today. Hi, Patrick. And is it Louis or Louis? Um, actually, it's Louis. It's French. Louis. But okay. uh, when I was in the US, I started to just except Louis, because Americans have a really hard time pronouncing a French name. So either <laughs> well, way, it's fine with me. Well, I actually have a buddy in Ireland from school days, and his name is Louis, and we always called him Louis. So okay. it's easy. It's easy, Fair easy. Enough. it's easy for me. Fair enough. So, uh, well, then to kick off, could you tell me about your career uh today and how you came to be a political consultant, which is kind of something that, you know, most people wouldn't be familiar with. And were you always interested in politics? And if so, why? Yes, I was always interested in politics. I think I was like 12 or 13 years old when I asked my parents to explain to me the difference between first past the post and proportional electoral systems. <laughs> so ever since uh, that is my passion, my problem was that Swiss politics is just really boring. I mean, probably in Ireland, you never hear about Swiss politics. And there's a reason, because it's the most boring elections in the world. So we hear about we hear about these interesting referendums you have from time to time. Yes, we have referendums and it has served the country well. But my challenge was that I really liked elections. But it happened that I was born in a really in a country where elections were really boring. So my way out was and I found out when I was in the US uh, to be a political consultant because I can follow my passion, which is elections, but live an international life. And uh, here I am. Okay. So you, I, I guess you studied political science. And then when you, um, I, know, I know you've done a doctorate along the way. And so how did your career develop? Well, I uh, did a master in the US, uh, the Graduate School of Political Management, which is really about politics in Washington, D.C. was very fascinating. I mean, uh, because when I studied political science in Switzerland, they're not really political, many students in political science. And here I went to Washington, D.C., and everybody in Washington, D.C. was like me. Imagine you're in a city, everybody in the city is like you. I mean, it was like really amazing. So uh, I learned a lot. I interned. I went to many conferences. But then I felt, well, now I want to do it on my own. I went back to Switzerland, did a PhD, but from the very beginning on, uh, launched my own consulting business. I never planned to go into academia. So, yeah. And uh, on your LinkedIn profile, I had a look and it says, I quote, I make mayors, governors and presidents. How do you do that? Well, uh, mostly by using market research. So basically, I, I'm uh, using 
market opinion research, not necessarily to see who's winning or to publish it the way you see market research and polls in the media. We use the same tool, but as a basis to make informed decisions in a campaign about whether or not to run to begin with, uh, what should be your message, what should be your target audience, and then to track how you're doing progress. And uh, I saw your TED talk uh, also, which was uh, very interesting. And you mentioned the four M's of effective uh, political campaigns. So what what are they? What are the four M's? And what are some good examples of their application, you know, that most people would be able to relate to? Uh-huh. So it's uh, message, uh, media, money, and make no mistakes. It's the four M's it takes to win a, a high-profile election. I think local elections are different. Uh, presence is much more important there. But in a high-profile uh, statewide, nationwide campaign, it's really the four M's. So you need a message. You need to tell people why they're better off voting for you than when they vote for their opponent or one of the opponents. Uh, you need media to amplify the message because the best message is worth nothing. People don't hear it. Uh, so you need money, again, which helps to amplify the message. And then if you can avoid at least big mistakes, that would be great. Uh, so I think if you have the four M's under control, you're in pretty good shape. What would be a good example of a, a message, say, that really worked, whether from your work or from outside, outside just the, the, the political environment that we'd all be familiar with? Well, then let's look at the World Cup of election campaigns, U.S. presidential elections. And I think we would uh, very easily be able to say what Donald Trump ran on in 2016, uh, including the slogan, which summarizes the message, make America great again. Um, we would uh, probably all remember Barack Obama's message and how it was summarized in a catchy slogan, change. Um, and isn't it noteworthy that we would have a very hard time uh, remembering Mitt Romney's message or John McCain's message or Hillary Clinton's message? And I think that tells us a great deal about what a good message and the slogan should be all about. And in the four M's, would you say there's a natural ranking in terms of importance or does that depend? I think probably the most important is the message and the most uh, underestimated. I think uh, people often use a lot of money communicating really an ego show without a message, empty content. I mean, I notice when I um, work in countries where I don't necessarily understand the local language, but, but just by simply looking at the materials, I feel it's blatant propaganda. So I think the message and the money, I think, is overestimated. It's one of the factors. It definitely helps, but by itself, it doesn't communicate a message. Uh, you cannot create enthusiasm with money. And I would even think that too much money can undermine your message discipline and decision-making discipline. So it's not a problem I have very often, but I did encounter candidates actually with too much money. Okay. Um, you say make no mistakes, but we all love seeing politicians make big mistakes. So give us give us an example of somebody who really put their foot in it. 
Well, I think typical mistakes is, for example, candidates who think they can do their surveys on their own and they hire students who do it and they tell them that they're doing great and everybody loves them and they end up losing badly. Uh, I think uh, another typical mistake is to not have a clear organization and discipline. Sometimes I ask a client, like, who is running your campaign? And he doesn't know the answer. Or there are seven people who think they're running the campaign or uh, somebody's running the campaign, but it's really uh, actually he's running it himself or a family member. So th those campaigns usually end in chaos. Uh, yeah, th that those are typical beginner mistakes. Yeah, now, as I've heard you uh, point out uh, several times yourself, that the world is changing at a great pace, and that pace of change seems to be picking up. And I think one of the one of the ways that the world is changing is the greater exposure of, say, business leaders to public opinion and scrutiny. So, in in what ways do you think a CEO's role is similar? or different to that of a political leader nowadays? And what can business people learn from politicians? Well, I think one thing that they can learn is that in elections, just everything is geared towards election day. So it's much more win or lose, the dynamics, and especially the timing is very, very different. Uh, we need to be much more aggressive in showing contrast with uh, our opponents because it's really um, win or lose, right? If you have a market share of 45%, you're a rich man, you're a booming business with 45% in a win-and-take-it-all system, you're in the desert for four or five years. So I think that's one thing that um, CEOs and businesses can definitely learn from politics. Um also to listen to public opinion, I think. And I, I think more and more companies sort of campaign for a better world instead of uh, really selling their product. And I think that's part of That's a consequence of it. 93.9 Dublin South FM. I've heard you talk as well about how contrary to uh, some expert opinions that, you know, political campaigns really do matter and the results of elections are becoming ever more difficult to predict and we've seen some spectacular examples of that in in recent years uh, with the polls getting it very wrong so what what do you think is going on here and why is this happening now in your opinion that, that one is getting more difficult to predict and two the polls are just not working well, there's a whole lot going on. Um, I, I, I don't think that the statistics no longer applies. So in a sense, market research is still a very powerful tool, but uh, the, the, the behavior of people has changed dramatically. No, I mean, the way they consume the media uh, has changed dramatically. The media situation, the context in which um, campaigns and opinion formation debates take place really has changed a lot. I mean, I've been teaching a class in political marketing for more than 10 years, and it, it's always a good uh opportunity to reflect on how the environment has changed. And yes, it has changed dramatically. I mean, now people uh, in those 10 years, now people have a plethora of news outlets to listen to. They listen to podcasts from abroad, from different countries. They uh, People watch news practically nonstop. The, the cycle is uh, 
practically nonstop. So yes, at the same time, people increasingly live in their bubble. Uh, we used to pick and choose the news that we're interested in. And I think one of the things that is changing is that uh, people increasingly only are served the news that they agree with and, and they're interested in. Like algorithms make sure uh, we just don't see the rest. I mean, I've uh, had a client in the UK and he told me that he doesn't know any single person who voted for Brexit. <laughs> yes, yes, the majority of the country did. You know, what's, you know what's happening in the UK, though? It's getting more and more difficult to find people who admit that they supported it. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yes. So it was a while ago. Okay, but uh, still. So now this also has an important impact, of course, on um, o- opinion polls. Um to look at the really bad example is the US. A- every election they're wrong. Every after every election, pollsters promise that now they've found an even better algorithm. Their weighing is even more accurate now. They've learned their lessons and boom, they, they screw up again. Okay. I mean, they screwed up in 16, in 18, in 20, uh, in 22. Um, they'll promise us that everything's better in 24. I actually, when I work in, uh, and I do a lot of work in uh, Asian countries, um, we do it um, the old-fashioned, uh, slowest, most expensive way, house-to-house. Our surveys are done in-person, house-to-house. Um, has many disadvantages, but you know what? It's by far the most accurate way of doing a research. Excellent. Uh, interesting. So another another phenomenon that we see, we've seen across the world is this increased political polarization, the emergence of parties and groups with extreme views, both on the left and the right. Um, and I guess some of these people potentially must be potential clients. So are you kind of agnostic and dispassionate about who your clients are? Or do you have red lines? Or do you actually seek to work with clients whose political positions align with your own, more or less? Uh, well, I, I, I have, uh, like everybody else, I think in the business, I have limits to what I do. Uh, now that uh, my career is a bit more advanced and uh, it's going reasonably well, I'm also in a position where I can choose. I mean, when I was younger, I started out, I was 27. I said, I'm a political consultant. Everybody's like laughing, like a political consultant. You imagine an old man with gray hair. You don't imagine a kid just out of uh, grad school. So now I'm in a position where I can choose more. Um, Yeah, but about polarization, uh, let's also not forget the political demand here. I mean, because politicians reply to the political demand. And right now I don't see much demand for consensus. So again, it has to do with how people consume news. Uh, I think social media honestly hasn't helped in that respect. Um, But again, if people would ask for consensus, politicians would give you consensus. So the the public is not innocent in in the polarization. So are politicians leaders or followers? Or were they ever leaders? Or is it they used to be leaders and now now they're followers? Ideally, it's a combination, and you would be one step ahead of uh, public demand, knowing public demand, taking it into consideration, but being one step ahead. You can't be five steps ahead because then there's a disconnect. Uh, I wouldn't advise to just simply copy-paste public opinion. 
but I think in a marketing perspective, political marketing perspective, ideally politicians would at least try to understand what voters um think and feel and know. And by the way, I often work with uh, qualitative public opinion research, focus group discussions, which I think are really uh, a great, great tool to uh, feel the electorate. And I think public opinion research has a lot to do with statistics, but also with the art and science of listening to people. And so when you did kind of allude to it there that, you know, politicians are serving a polarization because in a way that's what people want. But what what is your view on the causes and drivers of this increased uh, polarization? Do you think it's part of a pendulum cycle that will swing swing back in time or is it something more permanent that maybe we should be concerned about? I think it's both. It has to do with people more and more uh, living an individual life. I think there's less, uh, uh, how to say, um, belonging to socio-demographic groups, uh, people living an international life. It has a lot to do with the media, with social media. People, I mean, uh, it's a great tool to mobilize in an election, but nobody goes online to change his mind or her mind. I mean, people go online to like, uh, to express their feeling, their uh, anger. Nobody goes online to get an informed, balanced uh, information <laughs> and change their mind. So uh, there are many things going on. But uh, and, and I think there was just a few weeks ago, there was like an election in three, four, five countries the same day. And like all of them were basically a tie. I mean, Israel, if I were not mistaken, yeah. was really close. Brazil was another one, wasn't it? Brazil, uh, which is basically a tie. I mean, Bulgaria, I think they're voted several times in a row. And I mean, hey, even in the US, you know, when it was all said and done, I think 42,000 people in three states really made the difference. I mean, yeah, they said, uh, I think... Probably sooner or later, there will be a demand for uh, consensus and for getting things done. Uh, maybe the pandemic was the first first step in that, uh, that people saw. Uh, it's not so much about somebody who can really express my anger or my feelings all that well, but uh, or can give tough rhetoric, but somebody who delivers. Yeah. So over the next five, maybe 10 years, what do you think will be two or three of the big political issues in, in Europe, let's say. We're limited to Europe. But policy-wise? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I think uh, climate change, the environment, will uh, stay with us. Uh, obviously, geopolitical situation, the war in Ukraine, and uh, all its uh, effects on uh, energy, on the economy, I think, number two. And then number three, probably... Migration, immigration, asylum seems to be an evergreen. So those three issues, I think, will keep us busy and affect elections. And then as we come into the last few minutes of our conversation here, so outside of, of work, uh, when you're not thinking about uh, politics, although I know it's, it seems to be your hobby as well as your work, <laughs> what, what, what do you like to do in the way of uh, hobbies and other interests? 
Well, it, it actually has changed uh, since the pandemic. I mean, some of my friends, they tell me uh, that they're so happy to have their old life back now that the pandemic is over. And every time somebody tells me that, I notice how this is different for me. Actually, there are many things I don't want to do the way I used to do it before. I mean, uh, uh, while I still travel a lot, I just really enjoy to go for a walk in uh, in the forest. I mean, we have really great nature in Switzerland and I really appreciate it more than before the pandemic. Yeah, I was in actually I was actually in Zurich very recently and uh we took the train from uh the Zurich Hauptbahnhof to um to Austria to St Anton in Austria and we went yeah. down by by the lakes and that all of the lakes and the mountains all the way down there is absolutely stunning. Very uh, good. Yeah, isn't it, right? Next time you come, you let me know. I will, I will. <laughs> and, and we have great wellness. Uh, I mean, if you like the wellness, uh, I think it's probably some of the best in Switzerland. So excellent. I'll show you, you around next time. Okay. <laughs> I look forward to it. Are you are you listening or, or reading anything, listening to anything or reading anything lately that you might you recommend that you find uh, inspiring that you'd recommend to listeners? Well, uh, political, I'm reading uh, Maggie Haberman's uh, biography about Donald Trump, which is just really incredibly well uh, researched and written. Uh, I would highly recommend it to any political or journalist, actually. Um, I like... Um, Alan Weiss books, especially the elder ones, uh, where we met, right? The, right. right. Uh, he, he, I think I learned a great deal about consulting from him. So uh, especially the elder ones, I found really enriching. Yeah. So most of his books is a series of books called Million Dollar Consulting, Million Dollar Referrals, Million Dollar Speaking, and so on. Um, so under the Million Dollar logo you'll or the Million Dollar uh, brand, you'll find lots of his um, writing so yeah those books are are very valuable particularly for anybody who is uh, in consultancy or looking to get in consultancy or even other professional services so where can uh, people find more out about find out more about uh peron campaigns and the services that you provide well, you could get weekly uh, posts on my blog, campaignanalysis.com, where I write about uh, elections, crisis communication, market research, uh, all those topics, political marketing. Um, I tweet daily at uh, Dr. Underscore Perron, takeaways about elections. Uh, I post regularly on LinkedIn. So... Uh, Excellent. And your blog, you you write your blog in English or in German? Uh, campaignanalysis.com is English, and there's a German one, Wahlkampfanalyse.ch. Okay. Well, excellent. Uh, Louis, it's been an um, absolute pleasure, and uh, thank you for being here with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you again. Thanks also to our listeners for tuning in again today. And be aware that if you enjoyed this episode, uh, you can find a full series of well over 100 episodes of Interlinks on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Acast and other major podcast platforms. So until next time, keep well and stay safe.